This week on Retronauts, we're going to be the very best like no one ever was. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode of Retronauts. I'm your host, Bob Mackey, and today's topic is Pokemon. Uh, you can say it however you like. I'm going to say it Pokemon. I think the, I think the proper pronunciation is Pokemon, uh, hence the accent grave above the E. I believe it's Pokemon. Pokemon? Anyways, it means pocket monsters. I, I don't know. It's not. It's uh, Okay, whatever. Let's just, <laughs> let's just say it how we want to say it. I'm Bob Mackey. Who else is here today? Hi, I'm Cat Bailey, resident Pokemon master. But you said Pokemon. <laughs> you can't you said do it's that. It's okay to say it however you want. Not I don't just, want it. Okay. Be not just po- not just Pokemon, Pokemon. Yeah. Pierogi man. Because that's how everybody seemed to pronounce it back in the late nineties. That's like true. literally nobody. People were saying Pokemon, and you're like, why are you? Why is it man? Why are you adding the a? I I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I have a story to tell once Jeremy introduces himself. Jeremy, who are you? Hi, I'm Jeremy Parrish, and I have never poked a man. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Whoa. Uh, I'm, oh, I'm Henry Gilbert, chin Pokemon master. I see. That is a uh, That's a, really a dirty. It is very dirty. I, I do remember going to a Nintendo event. I'm not going to say who it was, but someone who was announcing a very important person pronounced it Pokemon. Mm. And I was like, have that man fired. He does not know how to pronounce the name of the thing he's presenting. Anyways, today's episode is about Pokemon. I'm a little wired on caffeine, if, in case you couldn't tell, as I usually am for these recordings. But um, yeah, I believe uh, if, I, if I play my cards right, this episode of Retronauts will launch almost nine years to the date of the last Pokemon episode that uh, I believe, Jeremy, of course, you were on it. I think Mark McDonald was on it, maybe Sharky, oh, yeah. and I don't know who oh, else. Oh, that's where he – yeah, Mark – uh, dissed Mr. Mime. Yeah, that's Talking right. How creepy he is. He was right to diss Mr. Mime. That thing is a freak. <laughs> so you're you're playing your cards right. Are they a hollow foil Charizard? Uh, yes, and I'm a billionaire Charizard. now because I'm holding on to that for my future, for my retirement. Uh, yeah, so I figured that so much has happened with Pokemon, and we we have all grown as people. Hopefully, in the in the passing nine years, that we can we can approach this uh, with with a new uh, new like. Uh, what am I, what's what I'm looking Fresh for? Maturity. Yeah, some some maturity. I remember like uh, listening to that original Pokemon episode a lot uh, because I did that in back in the day with Retronauts, and this was back in the early days of memes. And I remember like my Pokemon's let me show you them, and it was like the, the cat picture. Oh. It was the birth of cat memes. That's how old that first uh, episode is. So we've come a long way past that. Was that Cats that long are, ago, God. Yeah, nine years. I forgot about that meme. We now yeah. have like ancient memes. Yes, uh, the fossil history of memes has been preserved. So. Before we get into uh, the series as a whole, um, I do want to talk about the creators, and uh, it's, uh, they all are very interesting guys. It's basically three people who are the core Pokemon dudes, and we're going to talk about the, the various Pokemon tentacles and the Pokemon corporations that are ruling the world. But first of all, we have uh, Satoshi Taijiri, uh, born in 1965. He was only 31 when Pokemon was first released, making all of us miserable failures. I mean, what did you do before you were 31? He created one of the most important video game brands of all time. So yes, I feel bad knowing about how just how young he was when he created Pokemon, and I, I created Retronauts. Ooh, when you were thirty-one, 
I think before. Okay, well, we'll we'll see how Retronaut shakes out, but uh, it might be less popular than Pokemon. Uh, what? It, yes. No. Yes, maybe. So he's a really There's interesting. So many Pokemon episodes on Retronauts. They're they're about Retronauts. Okay. Well, we'll see about that. Anyhow, uh, uh, Satoshi Taijiri uh, was known as Doctor Bug to his friends. Um, he had he had a fondness for collecting and studying insects. And um, what happened to his life was the, the his idyllic stomping grounds were paved over. They paved up paradise and put up a parking lot, as the song goes. And uh, they put in these arcades. And he's like, that's my new interest now. So he went from this this beautiful, like, bucolic existence to just an, being an arcade rat. And that kind of formed his entire life because just reading about him, he was just – an obsessive about video games. They they just like as soon as he found them, that was what he wanted to do forever. This guy. So he could have created Spirited Away, but instead he created <laughs> Pokemon. Spirited Away. Yeah, because that's all about you know, like the paving over oh, rivers yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah. Like See, that's the the ecological message. Sounds more like Pom Poco to me. Yeah. <laughs> He saw the silver lining of that cloud. So, um, again, uh, he was a true game freak, uh, which would be later be the name of his fanzine. He spent most of his time in college in arcades nearly failing out, and his parents were completely worried about him. But apparently he turned this into a career in 1981. Uh, he won a game concept contest sponsored by Sega. And the following year, he started a fanzine called Game Freak with some of the guys we'll talk about next. Um, uh, Ken Sugimori, who did the art for Pokemon originally, and uh, – Ken Sugimori is also the uh, character designer of things like Pikachu and all the famous – the most famous Pokemon, I believe. And if you go online, you can find scans of Game Freak. The amazing thing is um, a, like a lot of these issues are just handwritten. Mm-hmm. They're just like photocopies of handwritten text because obviously you couldn't just jump onto a word processor and get like layout uh, software or whatever in 1982. So, yeah, it's, it's an is amazing – Is that old, 82? 82 wow. is when he started Game Freak. Yeah. Gosh, what was he, like 13? I've, I've seen some some very old episode or issues of Game Freak uh, for sale in the, the showcase outside Mandarake Galaxy in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. But they're like $100. There's like a part of me who's like, <laughs> I would love to own one of these just to have a piece of history. But nah, not well, that much. I don't think anyone's going to get mad at you for stealing Game Freak. But there are scans online of these old issues. Mm-hmm. And if you can read Japanese, uh, good mm-hmm. on you. But if not, it's, just, it's fun to look at the drawings and the layouts and all this. Like so much care put in. He was 16 when he started this magazine. So it's, a, it's an amazing story, this guy. And, and it's clear why he created Pokemon. Like he just wanted to live and breathe video games. And um, so the developer Game Freak actually began in 1987 with the release of Quinty, uh, known in America as Mendel Palace, uh, which I've never played, actually. Has anyone played Mendel I, Palace? I thought you wrote about Mendel Palace for... Uh, for GameSpite? Yeah. Um, maybe I just don't remember playing it, but isn't it just like sort of a... Uh, what, how does it play? I know you're just on these like flat like uh, levels and you're I don't you're know. I've never played off. it, but I, th- I, th- I could have sworn you had. Okay, maybe it's not me. Did anyone else play this game? No? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry we can't help you. I, I, I have so many notes. I didn't have time to play this game, but again, that was their first uh, release. Uh, and in uh, 1988, they actually formed like a company and then they produced games like Jerry Boy about Jerry Seinfeld as a child. Nope, it's actually what? Jelly Boy. <laughs> it came out here as a smart ball, I believe. Um, yeah, and they also developed games like Mario and Wario, which never came out here. That was the the mouse game that had Mario with a bucket stuck over his head and you kind of steered him around. And, it was like, basically like lemmings Yeah, Yeah, a little bit like that. And he and, plays um, one of the like lost side Mario characters, the pixie who directs him everywhere. That's true. Like the pixie is basically the mouse cursor and you're kind of like making sure Mario doesn't kill himself as he stumbles through levels with a bucket on his head. That's Wario's ultimate plan. Yeah. To stick a bucket on Mario's head. Back in the good old days when Wario was a bad guy. Yeah. 
now I don't even know where Wario is these days. He's, but uh, He's still a bad guy. Again, they develop things like uh, those games, uh, Yoshi, which is a bad puzzle game. I don't like it. I don't think anyone really does. Uh, That's the one where you have to... It's a match three, and then you have to get the egg there's to egg, close yeah. all over. Yeah, it's kind of boring. There's, yeah. no, there's no real good twist to it. And she's cookies better. Also, Pulse Man is their other work. Uh, yeah. Free Pokemon. Mm-hmm. That one was really – I played it only when it became available on the Wii import uh, on the eShop. It was a pretty good uh, side-scroller, and they made – I think it's a Gen 4 Pokemon that is a reference. Or there's a couple Gen 4 Pokemon that are a reference to Pulse Man. I'm sure there are several Pokemon that are referencing their previous works, but oh, yeah. I, I lost track of all the different Pokemon after they after like 250. I, I got lost. So we also have some trivia. Um, obviously, in the video game, uh, the main character is Satoshi, and uh, over here he's called Ash, but obviously named after uh, Satoshi Taijiri. And um, in general, if you want to make an anime comparison, and I will, uh, yeah. Game Freak kind of reminds me of Gainax, like these super mega nerds who like just had these had like a little club where they obsessed about what they loved and then turned it into a business. So I feel like that's kind of an interesting correlation there with uh, just these Japanese garage developers. And Gainax was like a garage animation mm-hmm. studio too. So so what, what Game Freak loved was video games and bugs, and what Gainax loved was animation and boobs. Yes, mm-hmm. and okay. copyright infringement with all those Daikon uh, videos. Oh, right, right, yeah. Yeah. Look up for yeah. both of them. <laughs> Look I, up uh, the Daikon animes. Those are good. I was trying to think what their Otaku No video is, and I would guess it's just in in most of the gens you can go to Game Freak and meet the developers in-game. That's right, so yeah. That's the closest to their, like, origin story in-game you'll find. Side note, uh, Satoshi is the, named after the creator of the, the game. Um, his rival, Shigeru, is actually Satoshi's friend. That's right. Oh, I think yeah. you spoiled the plot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, uh, his rival, though, right? Well, yeah. Gary. Yeah. 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 Gary as we know him. I don't know why they called him Gary. It's a, that's an odd choice. But, but in the anime, they actually become friends after a while. Okay. Boo. I forgot about that. We will talk about the anime, though. But uh, adding to the the, the, the Pokemon 3, uh, we have Ken Sugimori, who I mentioned earlier, born in 66, uh, has been working with Taijiri since the fanzine started. Since he was 20, he was always doing the arts. You can look at some of his amazing Pokemon concept art if you go to glitterberry.com, and there will be a link to that in the U.S. Gamer Post. It An amazing really resource. Cool. Yeah. yeah. That's when Rhydon was, like, the main character. Yeah, and I think all the Pokemon were originally um, designed for, like, a purpose in the world. Like, these, they'll, they'll have a job in the world, and they'll, like, help people in some way. But then they just decided to make, you know, fun ideas. Kind of like the boss robots in Mega Man. Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah. And they were also a lot bigger, it seemed like, almost like... It, my recollection of the concept art was that they were almost like kaiju size. Yeah, they were a lot uh, bigger in the uh, in, in the initial uh, pitch, I guess. So um, Sugimori is more of a supervisor these days. Uh, I think after uh, Silver and Gold, he stopped doing designs. Like if you look at his his earlier designs or designs for the first two games, everything is like a lot fatter. Like I love fat classic Pikachu with like he's yeah. kind of wall eyed and not not as sleek and marketable as um, our more modern Pikachu. Yeah, I mean there were there were a whole lot of changes made between the very initial Japanese release of green and red um, and then kind of like the reissues like the the very early version of the Japanese release uh, like a lot of those designs were changed up for the US and if you look at them they're pretty weird they are they are very strange he has a very distinct style Um, yeah the pudgy Pikachu choice I I love that Pikachu the old fat one Mm. when he was not supposed to be as marketable yeah kind of like Garfield yeah Yeah. exactly and and when they showed uh, when they had like a celebration of Pokemon stuff at the Nintendo World Store in New York City this year I was seeing all these tweets from people there and one of my favorites was a picture of it must have been one of the first 
Pikachu toys because he was the fat Pikachu and they're like, yeah, fat Pikachu yeah. toy. Actually, one of the first eBay purchases I made in 1998 was a fat Pikachu toy. Whoa. And if when you put him in your palm, the palm of your hand, his cheeks would light up because he had like two little sensors oh, on the yeah. bottom of his feet. It was oh, really I neat. That yeah. And uh, Ken Sugimori also directed a game, uh, Drill Dozer, which is really cool. And I believe that is on uh, Wii U Virtual Console, maybe? It is not. Oh, nope. it's on some Virtual Console. It has no? not been reissued. Man, that sucks. That game is so cool. Anyways, it is. It should be on Wii U where they can actually have the vibration yeah. in it. Yeah. I think they'd have to you know, change up the, the programming on the Virtual Console. Someone needs to get M2 on that. that I game, agree. Yeah, that was a really – I really enjoyed that game. It actually, like, almost felt like an anime as a game. Like, it, I felt like they were pitching it. Like, you could make it this into an anime if you wanted. It felt very you know? te- Tezuka-y. Like, yeah, like, I love, the way, I love the way you kind of, like, build up your powers through each stage. And then when you max out your powers, all of a sudden the mu- music changes and it's, like, triumphant. It's like this – big, you know, victory fanfare that follows you through the, through the rest of the stage. Yeah. Now I really want to replay this. It's funny you mentioned M2, Jeremy, because he still does uh, box art for games. He did the box art for the uh, Sega 3D Classics collection. Hmm. So if you look at that, it looks very much like his uh, sort of uh, uh, watercolory Pokemon design. It's very neat. I, like I love it. that cover. Well, I love when anybody draws a fat old Sonic. <laughs> I love Chubby Sonic. Yeah, yeah. he's the best. Um, but is that the U.S. cover or just the Japan? I think it's both. I think it's both. So uh, the third member of this terrible trio is Junichi Masuda, <laughs> uh, born in 68, the youngest of them. Uh, he's the composer for every Pokemon game, and he started a Game Freak with Mendel Palace, writing the music for that, obviously. I guess his claim to fame outside of, you know, kind of just directing every game after uh, after Gold and Silver, he wrote a program called Sound Driver, which is responsible for creating all of those weird Pokemon sounds on the Game Boy. I mean, as primitive as it was, it was still impressive that each Pokemon had a different cry, even though it sounded like a broken cordless phone being tossed down the stairs. You it know? Just different versions of... Yeah. You call the, them the terrible trio, but each one of them brought something... Probably crucial to oh, the yeah. success of. I mean, I, know I don't you think were they're joking, terrible. Yeah, obviously, uh, like Taijiri, <laughs> the three stooges, if you will. Taijiri ta- tapped into something really elemental with his bug hunting, like his love of bug hunting, because bug catching is obviously something you do when you're growing up in Japan, mm-hmm. and so he grabbed onto that nostalgia, that nostalgic feeling in Japan. Um, that, uh, interestingly enough, translated really well to the rest of the world. Nerds and love collecting things. Yeah. It's 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 such, an, it's a, such an important element in very, very popular games, I think, just the whole collection aspect. And I would say that Sugimori's art was also something that was a very important factor in its success because there have been a lot of Pokemon clones since, but the art <laughs> is usually kind of a, a ripoff of Sugimori's, like, style. Or it's just hideous, like, or Digimon. Or it's just really yeah. ugly, and his <laughs> art was immediately... Immediately appealing, and it's perfectly straddled that line between being kind of 
cool but also really cute and you wanted to like hug it and everything yeah i mean everything even the fearsome creatures are adorable even you could i, I could give mr mime a pat on the back at least you know just like way to go buddy i mean i by the way don't mock digimon too much because i've met some very defensive oh. digimon fans who are like not you know what actually it's better and the anime is way better and okay. it was directed by this guy I was and like, it made oh, me all right, cry all right cool down yeah cool down digimon hey, i feel like digimon it's cool I'm, I'm referring to the very first digimon that was just kind of hideous mm. um I'm referring to the five billion mobile ripoffs. Yeah. On the app store. Oh yeah, like uh, it, it's it's uh, they have they always have some kind of like Ash type character to, to fool you. Like there's Pokemon for my iOS. No, not really. Uh, some more about Masuda. Uh, he's more than a musician. Uh, he took on the role of director from Generation Three onwards. And uh, he's the inventor of what's called the Masuda method. Mm-hmm. Um, Kat, do you know about this? The Masuda I do, method. Actually. Can you please explain it to uh, to us? From Generation 2 onward, they had these uh, differently colored Pokemon that came to be known as Shinies. Mm -hmm. And from Gen 4 onward, you could trade over the internet and you could trade and acquire monsters from different regions like, you know, Japan or Europe or whatever. And if you bred an American Pikachu with, say, a Japanese Pikachu, you had a much, much, much higher chance of getting a shiny. Hmm. So, so this game was promoting multiculturalism, exactly. in other words. Okay. Yes. It's the Tower of Babel of video games. Yeah. And so there are people who exp- – all they do is try to get every shiny of every, like, monster, which is a fool's errand because it's something it's like sanity. 1 in 8,000. Right, but – but the Masuda you, method, like, improved your chances by, like, 60%, 70%. So mm-hmm. it, it's a big deal. Yeah. But, I'm, but how do you even get them for, like, legendaries? Like, that's impossible. Oh, man. I don't even want to know. You can't breed legendaries. You have to so. steal them from people, well, I think. Well, you're correct. So you can't use the Masuda method to get, say, a shiny legendary, in which case you just have to soft reset. Uh, what, like a million times yes. until finally Ho-Oh is the right color and then well, you hopefully catch him? Yes. Um, or Game Shark your way to sounds success. super fun. Yeah. Yeah. I can't speak for legendaries, but people have figured out uh, how to mess around with a random number generator mm-hmm. uh, by well, messing around with the clock and everything. Yeah. Mm. Well, there's also something with the grass. Like there's another shiny catching method where yeah. it's like the uh, – The people who know how to manipulate the random number generator can get a shiny everything. But the legitimate shiny hunters don't accept them because they're like – because they're like, well, that's not a legitimate way to get a shiny. So, uh, I've interviewed Masuda a few times. Has anybody else here? Got I've interviewed him once for he, X and Y. He's kind I of the have. face of the franchise. Yeah, actually. he really yeah, is. He's the one Nintendo usually brings over. But like every time, it was like, I'm the director, and then here's the guy who made this game you're actually talking yeah. about. But he's he, in my experience, he's really like, he's a nice guy, but he isn't ready to like commit to a lot of things. Like I asked him, like, oh, you know, the music's all awful great in all these games and like how how's it changed and he's just like oh that's nice of you to say we work really hard I was like all right yeah I I got a lot of I call them box factory answers uh, based on the (laughs) famous uh, Bart gets famous episode where it's like uh it's such an interesting story, and then it turns out to be a very boring story. So I was like, how do you come up with ideas for Pokemon? It's like, well, first, a spreadsheet is generated, and then it's passed around the company. It was like literally the bureaucracy of creating a Pokemon every step of the way. I was like, that's not the answer I wanted. We but just make boxes. The magic yes. wasn't there. 
Yes, exactly. And uh, one thing I find um, interesting about this area of game development is that all of these guys have different roles, but they're able to jump between them. Like an artist can become a game director. So can a musician. Like I feel like you are very much kind of set in a certain role these days in game development because it's so, so complicated now. But it's interesting to see like the artist can become a director in some cases. Well, they were basically an indie developer. Yeah, for got sure. Big, so it makes sense that they took on a lot of different roles. So we're going to talk about the origins of Pokemon next, and it has a very interesting and troubled development in case you weren't aware. So the very concept of Pokemon started in the early 90s when uh, Taijiri saw two, two children playing with a link cable. I don't know what they were playing, but he got the idea of like bugs crawling between the cables into each other's Game Boys and like sharing information that way. And uh, he also cites uh, the Final Fantasy Legend, uh, aka Saga, and that showed him that um, a Game Boy game could be more than just a, you know, like baseball or pinball or Mario Land. It could be like a fleshed out experience. So he does cite, uh, is that called the Final Fantasy Legend here? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was yeah. confused with this. And uh, once again, all all praise to our Lord and Savior, <laughs> Akitoshi Kawazu. He made it happen. <laughs> uh, I can forgive him of some war crimes for that. War crimes. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> so uh, the, the original generation, uh, that, that'd be Red and Green in Japan, developed by only 10 people. Uh, Red and Green came first. Blue was an upgrade that fixed bugs and stuff like that. It updated dialogue and artwork, and that was only available via mail order. Mm. Um, and since the localized versions had to be reprogrammed from scratch, the American version use the blue as the basis with the distributions from red and green as uh, the differences between red and blue. Does that make any sense? Am I just... Yes. Yeah. That's so complicated. I mean, red you and You might green. want to explain what distributions are. Uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, the, the main gimmick of Pokemon is that um, the games are essentially the same, except in uh, one version, you can't get some. In another version, you can't get some. So you need both versions, or at least to be able to trade with someone with the other version in order to get the full roster of Pokemon. Because, again, the catchphrase is, gotta catch them all. So... You can't catch all 150 Pokemon by yourself. So close. You need a friend to trade with. No! Thunder Hooker! Hit So you can grab a link cable and a friend with a Game Boy, and with both packs, you can catch them all. That is basically the uh, the premise of Pokemon. Yeah, I can't believe that they got away with that in 1998. Yes, yeah. I mean, it, it feels like a very weird foreign concept uh, yeah. just to sell two games, you know. It was a real, I mean, and it that kind of, for all the other thing ways Pokemon change games, that is a big one. That just, you can make, you can make two games and sell them every time that there were, um, th- I mean, tons of games that weren't about monster collecting or RPGs or anything stole that idea, or not stole it, but continued yeah, that. Yeah, even make Mega Man Battle Network had like yep. uh, Centaur Blue and Minotaur Red or whatever. I don't and know. So yeah, people... initially the the color variations in Mega Man Legends were or Mega Man Battle Network were like a point revision that came mm, later. I think really okay. Um, but but, can... but you know the the idea like people seemed really cynical about the the two versions. Like oh they want me to buy two games, but I don't think that was really the idea. I no, think I the agree idea with you, yeah. was. Was really to uh, you know encourage kids to buy different versions and encourage them to play together and mm-hmm. and really push them to use the link capabilities of the game. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the different versions were to encourage a social experience. Like you can play this by yourself, and I did because I was a shameful sixteen-year-old playing Pokemon. Yep. But um, they really wanted kids to be like, oh, I've got red. Can you get blue? And then we can trade, and we can have you know the full roster and everything like that. If you go back to that period of time, uh, the Game Boy. 
Not, I mean, it was kind of near in the end of its mm-hmm. life cycle, I guess you could say. It wasn't dead per se, but I, I remember I owned a Game Boy at that time, and I didn't really think about it that much. It so was, it, it was felt, seven years old. It was, yeah. it was on its last legs. I was, mm. I was dusting it off. I, I felt like I was dusting it off and pulling it out. The Virtual Boy failed to replace it. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't. I didn't think I had a Game Boy Color back then, so I played the original. Well, the Game Pokemon. Boy Color didn't come out until. Oh, that's like, right. You might yeah. have had a pocket. I didn't have a pocket out, either. It came out in early '99, and the Pokemon no. became the killer app for it. Color was uh, late '98. Okay, mm. so it came out. I think it actually right came out time. the same yeah. day as Pokemon. Oh well. In any case, I played through Pokemon Red on a Super Game Boy, like nice. the worst way to play it. I think on like the TV by myself, single wow. player. Yeah. Did it have so. a Super Game Boy functionality? It did not. What? It did not even have uh, borders. What? I think I think they stopped doing that like a year before, or maybe maybe '97 was the last like Super Game Boy functional game. The uh, the the brilliance of the link cable conceit can't be overstated. Oh no. Because I mean, obviously, when the link cable came out, it was used as multiplayer for when you were playing Tetris or whatever. But I, I don't feel like it, it was kind of underused, right? I, I don't remember it being oh, yeah. used too much. I, I certainly didn't use it very much. I remember they pushed it hard at launch. Like, uh, they had so many games where, like, well, you could do, I guess, well, Tetris was a big you one. You play but also baseball, like, maybe. Yeah, or Alleyway or the. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they, it had all those, but I felt like it was getting very, like, Un- underused in the later ones. Like, you could not... They didn't make, like, fighting games for it or yeah. anything. I only used it for Tetris, like, once, just to see what it would do. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, what else do I do with this? I'll just hold but on to it. Pokemon was this cute RPG that would have been totally forgotten, except for the really amazing ability to... I mean, it was one of the first truly, like, social games where you were working together with your friends and trading back and forth. And you had, like, in at least in my school, we had these little community, like, pockets of nerds who all brought their Game Boys in. Uh-huh. And we all had our teams, and we were battling against one another. Oh, I envy you, Kat. I yeah, envy you. I didn't have that. What I did have... Uh, I was in were, band. We were all nerds there. <laughs> what I had was more than one Game Boy, and so that is why uh, I, I... You traded with yourself. Yes, I traded with myself. Hey, it was as very a, onanistic. As a lonely child, I played board games by myself, so... And you were uh, one of the many people who probably double-dipped and, like, massively increased its sales. I mean, I triple-dipped. I got I got yellow <laughs> as well. Yeah. Nice. Let's not go too far. Okay. I do you want to talk about the development and the origins of the game. Right. So, um... Uh, this may this may shock and horrify uh, pro players, but the game was designed so that the Pokemon's moveset would reflect your personality. And as as with the naming of the Pokemon, so even though you would have your own Pikachu or your own uh, Clefairy, it would be very different or potentially very different from your friends. Like because you're limited to four moves. Yeah, and that and that was that was put in there intentionally so you could be like, I want to make mine reflect like what I want this monster to do. You it know? went deeper than that. Depending on what monsters you fought, would actually change the stats. Mm. And over time, that they kind of codified that and refined that for later games. But you could. Uh, it would change the stats based like different monsters gave points for different stats mm-hmm. and so they also and they also had different base stats at birth so they really wanted each monster to be different yeah yeah i it makes me wonder how they're going to i mean i haven't tested it out myself obviously i could find out but how you can on the re on the well not remakes but the the we the 3DS eShop versions of red and gr- blue when you can transfer them to the Pokemon Bank, like, 
Where what are what, what about all those other stats that didn't exist in Gen One? Oh, we'll get to that. We yeah. will get to that. I did my research, but uh, I did want to say uh, the development of this game took six years. That is like Bioshock Infinite development time. So like ninety to ninety six. Yes, exactly. Wow. People were not getting paid. People were leaving the uh, game freak. Um, I mean, Masuda like, said that like multiple computers were just overheating. Yeah, trying to make this thing. <laughs> like this is. I mean, you would look at Pokemon and be like, oh, that's a simple RPG. But it took six years for all these ideas to come together, and that's why like for the localization it took two years because um they basically had to start the game from scratch again because the, the source code was so catastrophic from like six years of people working on it six years of different people working on it well, and that was that was another saving throw by satoru iwata fresh off of his saving throw for earthbound oh he yeah. was on uh, the original generation right. for pokemon he brought, too he was a programmer there okay yeah, yeah he helped I, he helped make pokemon possible for the u.s version oh wow okay cool i had no I'm, idea i'm positive i read yeah, that. yeah that's recently. i mean i was gonna admit he'll come up in a, a later anecdote too but yeah he was just the programming whiz kid again fixing what couldn't god. be fixed Iwata god bless you and uh, funny thing is uh, the localization team was worried at the time that the Pokemon were too cute for America and they wanted to quote unquote beef them up in terms of design like make them scarier put on angry eyebrows but our good buddy uh, Hiroshi Yamauchi put his foot down apparently and said Ooh. no we're going to see if this works in America because it, it seemed like it wouldn't you know from from an American perspective, like uh, like a bunch of cute, cuddly creatures in a Japanese RPG, that's going to take off here? No way. Well, this, I mean, it's yeah. weird because Charizard, I mean, he looks pretty cool. Right? Yeah. No, there are some tough looking ones, but they are. I, I like the even in the original 150, there's such variants of mm. this is the tough one. This is the this is the ninja one. And then here's the cute, cuddly one you just want a stuffed animal of and hug mm. and that. I, I like that, you know, 87 or whatever year old Yamauchi can just go like, no, no, keep it cute. Like, and he threw it. his red scarf over yeah. his shoulder and stormed out. I mean, in 97, I guess, when they were probably making some of these decisions, that this is back then even Nintendo was changing the box art and not, like, wanting to have anime characters yeah. on a box. Like, And they did and, put the yeah. uh, the most badass uh, Pokemon on the cover, I think, mm-hmm. and, like, a really, really dynamic poses. Like, if you look at the Japanese art, it's just, like, a cute and cuddly uh, Bulbasaur and, like, kind of, like, well, a Cute it's not Charmander. It's a Venusaur. Oh, yeah, Venusaur. But, uh, Charizard. but they're much smaller, and they're not like like lunging at the out right. of the box no, or anything. Like, yeah, they're blown up. They're right there and in like, your face. Charizard is like breathing fire, I think, out of the box. No, no? no okay. No. I, I, I just imagine that. Like, I had the red one. I got red because it looked sure. cooler, you know. Um, so uh, the original game, it sold respectably, but what re- really made it take off was the release of Mew through special events. I can't believe they were doing that in Gen 1. Yeah, I, mean, I know. That's incredible. Like, come on down to this convenience store. We're going to have an event. We'll, we'll give you Mew. Like, I, I did this in 2006 with, like, Leaf Green, I think. Like, I got a Mew 2 or something like it that at Toys R Us. It just showed how far ahead of their time they were in terms of, like, I mean, like, downloadable data distribution events on the Game Boy? Yeah, Japan yeah. was I mean, way ahead of us. That that wasn't a foreign concept to Nintendo fans in Japan because you had, you know, the, the yeah. Famicom disk system. It had readers where you could to- go and take a blank blue disk and download, like, current releases <coughs> for, like, 500 yen. And then the Game Boy also had a very similar service mm. uh, where there were certain games. I think Balloon Kid... Um, or Balloon Fight GB was only available through that service. That's right. So yeah. this seems like kind of a natural extension of that. Like, hey, while you're coming down to, you know, get stuff for your downloadable cartridge, why don't you also get a Mew? So, yeah, that's what made it take off. Like the idea like, oh, there's this rare creature and you need this game to get it. And you can only get it in this window of time. So it got that's what got people to make the leap, I think, and then get really addicted to Pokemon. And weirdly enough, it never came out here. There was what? never an official release of Mew. How did yeah. you get Mew? Game Shark? 
Uh, uh, there, was, get, uh, there were two methods. There was that truck outside Pallet Town. Mm. <laughs> uh, Nintendo Power had a contest. I recall that. Okay, there was a Nintendo Power contest? Okay. I believe so. Well, you could uh, cheat. There was a glitch that you could mm. take advantage of, and you can still take advantage of it in the DS version to get mm. Mew. And then there's also the Game Shark. And maybe Missing No, the Missing No glitch might have gotten you it, but I think... Mm. That's contraband here. So I had... Uh, I I know it was only given away in America in that way because I competed in 1998 in a mall Pokemon tournament. Oh, and, my God. Uh, and they had a very... They had did you one, win? No, no, I did not. Uh, but they had a real ground rule at the top of just like, if you have Mew in your party and cannot prove you won it from this contest, you are disqualified. Oh, man. Like they, so there were contests and everything. Yeah. Okay. You brought a Mew to a Pokemon fight. So I promise we're going to talk about the games. There's so much to cover, though. Like, I did want to talk about the, what I call the vast Pokemon empire. And I always confuse. There are literally four companies involved. We know Nintendo, of course. I don't need to explain who that is. But so let me break this down for you. Who uh, Who is running what part of the, the Pokemon empire? So we have Game Freak. Uh, they're strictly the developer of Pokemon. The CEO is Satoshi Taijiri. And this was the company founded in 1989 after the publication of Quinty or Mendel Palace. Still so, technically second party, I I guess not only I mean, they just published Nintendo. a game with Sega last yeah. year. Yeah, yeah, and uh, they made they made uh, the badass elephant game. What's and that called? Make, yeah, that's a, that's a rad game. And they've by been the way. making iOS game iOS apps for a while now, like yeah. way before Nintendo said we're going to do this. So yeah, so they they make things outside of Nintendo, which is great. Uh, we have Creatures Inc. Uh, that, this is the successor of Shigesato Itoi's Ape Company, which developed Mother and Mother 2. And they mainly work on Pokemon spinoffs like Ranger. And uh, they design toys and uh, board games and stuff like that. And the president of this uh, is Hip Tanaka, which uh, it's this weird, like, like evolution of... to me. Yeah. Yeah, he, um, you know, Hirokazu Tanaka was a composer at Nintendo, worked on games like Metroid and uh, Kid Icarus and... Uh, Eventually, you know, once Pokemon started to take off, he wanted to compose for the anime. Mm, And Nintendo was like, you can't work for us and do the (laughs) anime music because that's not a Nintendo product. That's not owned by us. So he left Nintendo so that he could freelance and work on the anime and became involved, I guess, with the Pokemon company Mm. or Creatures, Inc., sorry. Yeah. And, uh, you know, eventually became president of that company. Yeah. So he still has a very close relationship with Nintendo, but he wanted... I, I guess to you know pursue life outside of video game compositions, so uh, he had to leave Nintendo to do that. Even if he can't read Japanese, he's a cool guy to follow on Twitter. Yeah, and he's what KK Slider, right? He's t- uh, I think no, that's that was uh, Tokata. Yeah, oh, that's Tokata. My Tukata, bad. Yeah. My bad. It's okay. Uh, yeah, I think it's really as someone who is obsessed with Earthbound. I think it's so cool that like um, it kind of led into Pokemon in some way. And of course, we have the Pokemon Company, which is a joint company formed by Nintendo, Game Freak, and Creatures. And this is just basically a company that is just – they're in charge of licensing things. So it's You're like, missing one more. What's that? You're missing Genius Sonority. Oh, my God, Kat. 
Didn't which, they make like a Dragon Quest remake? They did Pokemon Coliseum, oh, okay. which was the successor to Stadium. And in 2015, they did Pokemon Shuffle, so they're still around. Okay. Genius Sonority used to be Heartbeat, right? That's what I was thinking. They, yeah. they developed Dragon Quest Six and seven. They develop what I oh, believe are the lesser. Then, then uh, the company dissolved after seven, like right around the time seven came out in the U.S., which is why Dragon Quest Four remake for PlayStation never came here because they were working on the remake reprogramming, and the company dissolved. But my understanding is, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that they, those people kind of rolled into Genius Sonority. Mm-hmm. Speaking, yeah, I, I thought Genius got started as the you know Square Enix or Square apologizing to. Nintendo thing of like, oh, we'll make Nintendo games. That was Brownie Brown, wasn't it? According to Wikipedia, um, it was started by – it was started out of Hiroshi Yamauchi's Q Fund. Okay, yeah. Mm. yeah. What does that mean? It was like – It's like the slush fund of let's, okay. make, let's make new games and I'll give this and to it was, it was a studio. It was a studio started by somebody who was affiliated with Pokemon um, and he broke off and his job was basically make console game console Pokemon games. Mm. So, so what was like they they recently made Shuffle or what was yeah, the last one they made? Yeah, they made Pokemon Shuffle. Okay. Yeah, that was yeah. their most recent game. How recent was that? Uh 2015. Oh, wow, really? Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm thinking of Troze. That's much older. Yeah. Um yeah, so again, there's um, Pokemon is so big it, re- it literally needs four or five companies I to just, manage it. I just want to say as a journalist, like <laughs> the vast apparatus of Pokemon is like a pain to penetrate um, because not only do you have the Pokemon company, which is basically just an entire company devoted to PR, you have a further PR agency also fronting for them. Yes, yeah. So you have to go through the PR agency to get to the Pokemon company who may or may not put you in charge, uh, put you online with Game Freak, but it's probably not. They're probably going to give you somebody like one of their marketing directors well, or something. Well, and then like Nintendo's PR are going to get mixed into that too. Yeah. yeah, a little bit, a little bit. A Usually they bit. do their own PR, yeah. but yeah. it's it's a mess and it's a nightmare to navigate. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's why I had to break it down in this episode because I'm always confused and I'm sure I'll be confused after this episode is done. It's also incredible. It is, yeah. Like so much work is required to manage this amazing property that still brings in, I, I swear, billions. Uh so I swear to God we're going to talk about these games at some point, but I do want to handle the whole Pokemania uh, craze uh, from because from our American perspective, I believe it was around 98 to 2001-ish. I mean, mm. it never stopped selling, but this was like – it's everywhere. Like there are Simpsons jokes about it. There, It's being referenced on everything. It was a like, South Park episode. Exactly. Like you could not escape this. And as a 16-year-old in high school, uh, uh, quickly turning 17, I loved anime. I loved video games. But I felt such shame about this. Like, I was like, no one can find out I like Pokemon because I, it was really viewed as a kid's thing. Like, mm-hmm. so I was just like, like a closet Pokemon fan, like deathly afraid that people would know that I like the show. I like the 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 uh, the game. Uh, how did how did you guys? I mean, Jeremy is a, a bit older than us, but how did you guys? Uh, how did you guys enter the world of Pokemon? Like, what? How did you first get into it? I got into Pokemon because a friend said, "Go check out the anime." I 
I watched an episode and I was like, oh, that's kind of cute. And then I just on a whim, I asked for the game for Christmas. I got the game for Christmas, uh, started playing it, fell completely in love with it, uh, was completely hooked on it. And of course, the, the following spring, it became a thing. Like, it exploded. Yeah. And unlike you, uh, Pokemon <laughs> was never, like, really a... I mean, it was younger for sure, but I guess in my school, and I was about your age, Bob, uh, I mean, like I said, there were, the band nerds were all playing it. So it wasn't like... So it wasn't like everybody was trying to hide. It's like, oh, my God, we can't, like, tell anybody we're playing Pokemon. But we were all nerds anyway. They were, like, playing Magic the Gathering and stuff. I could not find any other nerds, really, in my tiny high school. <laughs> oh, I'm uh, sorry. Yeah, I mean, later in life, uh, the next year, I got my first girlfriend. This is a sweet and touching story. I believe uh, my, my first Christmas present I bought her was the To Be a Master uh, Pokemon Aww. soundtrack. Wow. Isn't that disgusting, everybody? And I and I know all the songs by heart now. Uh, Henry, please. Uh, yeah, when I I was a sophomore in high school and I got into it in late uh, late 98 – and I think just like Kat, it was kind of through the anime for me because in 98, I think I was more into anime than I ever would be again at that point. Like I, I kind of came into Pokemon just because it was getting localized by the, the anime. had the, a lot of the same talent as on the Viz anime I was watching, like Ronma One Half. I think it was like Four Kids Entertainment or something yeah, like that. Yeah, Four Kids. Uh, just hearing like, oh, Lena Inverse is yeah. uh, the same voice as uh, uh, Misty. Wow. That got me into Pokemon actually. Like, oh, all the Slayer stuff people are on this. <laughs> And I was yeah. okay, go back to that Slayer's dub. It's still really good. I, I listened to it recently. Just on a side note, a lot of those people who were in the Pokemon anime <laughs> ended up being used for Valkyrie Profile. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the same. It was the same uh, dubbing studio. Like the, the lady who played Ash was one of the characters. who You, you couldn't recruit him, but he was – at one point he – I, I think he literally says, Lapis, I choose you. Mm, okay. well, Valkyrie Profile is a game about catching them all. <laughs> yeah, all the, all the lost souls. Uh, and yeah, I was, I guess I had a certain sense of shame with it too, but, <laughs> but I wasn't too, uh, I wasn't too secretive about it. I was just like, I definitely remember when the first film was coming out, uh, the, there was talk in my algebra or like, yeah, algebra two class before class are like, hey, uh, Pokemon's coming out. I don't know anything about it. I bet Henry knows. Hey, Henry, when's uh, Pokemon movie yeah. coming out? And in my head, I was like, I know you're making fun of me. Yeah, I've had but, that experience. Too. But I have to give you the factual answer that it's Friday and that it's based <laughs> on a film that came out eight, nine months ago in Japan and that and I just was – just dumping trivia. On I was there opening night with that girlfriend. We were Pokemaniacs. Uh, Jeremy, you were you were much older and probably more cynical and jaded by this. Oh point. yeah, I mean, <laughs> I had already retired by that point. <laughs> you were you were uh, getting uh, your your uh, what's that? Uh, your uh, pension already? Mm, yeah, cashing that. So I, I use my pension check. Um, <laughs> no, so let's see. Um, I I knew I was aware of Pokemon way before it came out in the U.S. because I read Imagine Games Network. Uh, those mm. great websites, that consortium of, of sites <laughs> run by people such as Jazz Rignall um, and read Never about <laughs> read about uh, things like uh, this pocket monster game causing seizures in children in Japan and, and being censored. A and game uh, that it, I it took me with, yeah, it took me a while to kind of realize, wait, this isn't about monster in my pocket. Yeah. That old NES game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's something completely different. Um, so by the time the game came out, uh, I was actually contributing to gaming intelligence agency, GIA.com, at that point, um, which was an RPG-focused sort of indie fan site that had really great access and scoops to things in the, the early days of the internet. And uh, so it was kind of like, you know, I, I was highly aware of, of its existence at that point. So... 
Um, yeah, I ended up picking up Pokemon Red when it came out. No, maybe it was Pokemon Blue. Pokemon Blue. Mm. And uh, played a few hours of it and said, mm, this is kind of boring. Uh, I was, you know, super into RPGs at that point, but uh, Pokemon just for whatever reason didn't catch me. So um, I didn't actually play a Pokemon game seriously until I ended up uh, being assigned to review Pokemon Diamond and Pearl for one mm, okay. a decade later nearly. Yeah. And he drew a comic about it. I did. It was a great comic. <laughs> it was. I love that comic. They yeah. wouldn't let me use it as my review, though. They were like, no, we need a more substantial Aww. review. Ooh. So uh, talking more about Pokemania, when it launched, uh, it had all of the benefit of being out in Japan for two years. So it had all this media that could launch simultaneously. So I believe the anime was very vital, a very vital part of making Pokemon marketable. And I think it's because it was the maybe the first good video game cartoon in that it was faithful. It uh, Mega Man was not the wrong color, in other words, you know? You, you like, didn't like Final Fantasy Legend of the Crystals? Uh, I mean, you had to butt lasers? <laughs> yeah. You had to buy like a $30 tape for that. This was on every every day for free. I mean, like that was so important to just selling the idea, getting the idea out there. And like if you play the game, you're like, the music is the same. Um, they call onigiri jelly donuts. I can get over that. I mean, I'm sure that would blow a kid's mind. You can eat rice balls. Oh, my God. But yeah, I, I believe the anime was such a, an important part. And I think it was around this time that anime was catching on. We had Dragon Ball Z reruns being on Toonami. Like anime was beginning its like Sailor bubble. Moon had, uh, had, had kind of paved the way. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah, there were a few earlier, uh, earlier um, you know, First, but I feel and like censored VHSs yeah. were getting like more available, like of the uncut stuff. Like you could rent, like I was able to rent the previously mentioned Rama one half or Bubblegum Crisis. Those were at Blockbuster by that point. Yeah, like, yeah. I wrote the I wrote about this on US Gamers. So you should go check it out. But the anime. Uh, wrote about the anime. Okay, yeah. I think I did read that one. Uh, because I considered it one of the most, probably the most successful video game adaptation like ever. Or at least to this point. And when I say successful, I mean it's just – it's still on. It's still been going yeah. for 20 yeah. years or whatever. Yeah. Now, that is when it, it – you, you mentioned one thing in it that was what turned – got me to stop watching was when he finally – like once a new gen would start proper, he'd say, well, I'm just going to leave all my old ones at uh, Professor yeah. Oaks and start and over never again. never ages. Like, How dare you? How but dare you the, give away all your Pokemon? Like, you he, didn't give them, he didn't give them away. away. Know, like he would – the, the weird thing is that in later shows, he would actually bring them back. Mm. Yeah. Back. They were just in stasis, trapped forever. Yeah. <laughs> like kind of like Char- he's trapped forever in his youthful body. He'd have sent over from his PC to like right. hang out to also help sell kids the new well, Charizard Well, he would spend all this time training all of these new guys, and then he would go, oh, I'm in an actual battle. Well, time to bring in Charizard because he's OP. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the thing that worked about Pokemon back in those days was that it was serialized. And at that time, serialized TV... That was a very new it thing. It was, yeah, especially for a cartoon. I mean, you had shows like Buffy was serialized. You had Babylon 5 was uh, doesn't, serialized. Doesn't Pokemon predate Buffy? I thought that was like uh, 1999. Maybe it was before It was that. right at the same time. Okay. Yeah. Star Trek X- X-Files Space. had some serialized episodes. Yeah, the point is that serialization is a novelty. And so people who are really into anime could tune in. And all of a sudden, they were following Ash's adventures. Yeah, like, As he went and got each badge, you're like, oh, man. How are they going to show this particular badge next? And it was relatively faithful to the show. And you were wondering if Ash would fight the Elite Four. Spoiler, he does not. Yeah. I mean, there was continuity, which we were not used to with cartoons. Like, Unless, just like, of course, you were an 80th kid and watched Robotech. Uh, yeah. Well, that's true. I mean, if you were watching anime before this, like I was, you were used to it. But and, like, you're, these are the superior cartoons, you know? I think it taught a bunch of kids a ton of anime tropes, too. Oh, because yeah. Because it is full of – it's full of a lot of anime cliches. Right. Not it's that, basically Dragon Ball Z with yeah. uh, anime. Not yeah. that Monsters. there's anything wrong with it. No, no but, absolutely uh, yeah, not. It's no. a – 
your tri- your traditional shonen ja- journey anime. It's a shonen anime, but with cute things. So yeah. it appeals to like not just little boys, but everybody. I think. But it did things to the the game like it. It would be like Pikachu, aim for the sprinklers, and it'll like spray on the onyx. Yeah, there was like the yeah. the arenas also were part of the there battles. There was a pretty famous one where it was like. Uh, Pikachu, aim for Rhyhorn's horn or something, and that will take him out because that's his vulnerable. I guess spot. you could say it's a critical hit. Yeah, I mean these are writers trying to deal with like a turn-based, turning a turn-based battle system into like a narrative. So they were trying, they yeah. had to play with it a little bit. But it was bit. visually interesting. But oh, you, yeah. were, you were right. Uh, you were in the, you were right in the end, Henry. Like it could have ended on a nice note uh, because at the end of the original series, uh, he. I mean, he loses in the tournament because he's fighting essentially his mirror image, mm. and he realizes like that he was being kind of impulsive, and he grows up at the end, and he's yeah. like, "All right, I'm ready to move on with my life." Pokemon is about man struggle against himself. But right? by and this point, overcoming your demons. By, but by the man time, versus man via nature. Yeah. But by the time the first series ended, the show had become so popular, it was like we need more. Mm-hmm. And as a result, uh, Ash is doomed to wander the earth, never aging. And wow. Then, like the first episode begins how the game begins yeah. of a Gengar uh, Nidoran fight. Just, uh, yeah, it was super cool. Yeah, yeah. and then it, like the Game Boy music turns into like a symphony music, uh, mm-hmm. symphony piece. Yeah. A few more things before we hit our break oh, and then talk about more, the games. Oh, one go more ahead. Side note uh, there's actually a Pokemon Origins that came out. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah. It was a really rad, like completely redone anime, but it, nothing to do with the original anime. Uh, much more faithful to the show, mm. or the, much the more game. faithful to the games. Yeah. Uh, very stripped down thing, right? It's and the animation's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a very and I like that they posted the OVA online, like it was mm. for America, and it's got one of the creepy, well, not creepiest, but this scene of a Charizard getting bitten by a Squirtle. Oh no! And the <laughs> screaming the Charizard's doing in the scene is just disturbing. It's what they don't show you in the right, games because the monsters don't actually say their names like they do in the anime. Which, by the way, mm. was a brilliant marketing tactic. Yeah, yeah. It's oh, like so buy smart. me, buy me. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. So uh, I do want to go through a, a few things really quick before our break. Uh, uh, Jeremy, I think, briefly mentioned the seizure episode. That is basically how America found out about Pokemon. Um, uh, basically, this happened... Uh, and almost killed Pokemon. Almost killed Pokemon. December 1697, the episode about Porygon. Um, Electric Soldier Porygon. Yes. Yeah. So basically, a visual effect in the episode produced what was later called Pokemon Shock, which sent <laughs> 685 viewers to the hospital. <sighs> and I believe maybe four of them uh, were like not doing so well. It didn't kill anybody. So the series went into a four-month hiatus after this, but it bounced back. People liked Pokemon so much they didn't care if it almost killed some of them. So that's how much Japan liked Pokemon. And I think like since this episode happened, Nintendo has been like ultra vigilant about like seizure warnings. Like I remember late '90s, every game started with like "This will cause seizures. Please don't play this." Like I mean, the seizure I've, I've heard stuff. The- the seizure warnings were in games for as long as I can remember. I, I think, like, after this, though, they mm. were really vigilant about I don't. Them. I don't remember ever seeing them before the Pokemon episode. And mm. I've, I've heard that the reason Virtual Console on Wii U and 3DS is so grim and dark yeah. and awful looking is because they want to dull the colors so you're not as likely to be affected by flashes. Well, because there's, like, the red and blue mix in the scene. Like, I've watched the scene, and it is, it's a specific mix of colors, too. It's not even, like, oh, just bright lights. It's it's this specific thing, though. When the show aired, when the show began airing in America, I think for a couple years, 
Anytime like an electric attack happened or anytime there was a bright light on the screen, it was dim. Oh, yeah. They like turned the br- yeah. like, brightness way the down. The brightness was yeah. turned way down on all of them just to be safe like because it did make national news in America, the, the seizures. Yeah. And I mean, I think the, the Simpsons episode was probably written right after that where they go to Japan and all, they all have seizures on the floor mm-hmm. while turning on the yeah, anime. And they're watching Seizure Robots. Oh, Seizure Robots. Show, yeah. yeah. Yes. So before our break, I do want to say this was one of many attempts for Nintendo to get an RPG to take off. Um, so uh, we had Dragon Warrior, obviously. We have Final Fantasy, which I think sort of worked, not maybe as much as they wanted it to. Then we had Earthbound, and then we had Pokemon. So hey, don't forget the the little guys like Fazanadu, Fazanadu, Gaia, Illusion all of these, Gaia, all these games that they localized and were like, "Look, you can get a free T-shirt with Illusion of Gaia. Buy it." I, I do Super count Mario those. RPG. Yeah, that too. I do count those, but I feel like Final Fantasy, Earthbound, Dragon Warrior, and Pokemon had the biggest like Nintendo power shoving it in your face effect. Like you, mu- this is important. People in Japan like this. Ergo, you must like it. So they were just shoving it in your face. And, and it I think this was for Pokemon, but it, it was a year after Final Fantasy VII. That's true, and that helped get people into why can't I move my guys? That that immoral question. <laughs> why can't I move my guys? So we're gonna take a brief break, and when we come back, we'll actually talk about the damn games. Grammy's Noble Van and Ass, Nanky Chancy and Zubat, Soul King Ditto Butterfree, Lugia and Caterpie, Honest Polly, White Goldie, Elicate and Nitto Queen, Victory Bell and Magneton, everybody Pokemon! Aerodactyl, Silma, Choke, Meryl, Moultrie, and Slowpoke, Hello, everybody. This is your host, Bob Mackey, coming to you from inside the episode. And I know this is weird, but just stick with me. Anyhow, I hope you're enjoying our updated look at Pokemon. And I just wanted to let you know I have a few announcements for you. And hopefully this will make you less likely to skip them. That said, this podcast is brought to you completely by our patrons at Patreon.com. They pay for every element of this podcast from, uh, you know, flying Jeremy in to record with us to paying for space in our studio, paying for our equipment, and even for paying for things like water and snacks for our guests who come in and give us their time. So if you have donated to our show, thank you so much. And if you haven't, please consider it. If all of our listeners donated just $1 a month, we would be able to make Retronauts our job and do amazing and crazy things with our Patreon money. And there are incentives, including physical rewards, if you help us out. So please go to patreon.com slash retronauts to find out how you can help our show. And in other news, Retronauts will finally be going to the Midwest to do a panel. We'll be attending the Midwest Gaming Classic on Saturday, April 9th at 2 p.m. for a panel on the Master System. Master System experts Dylan Cornelius and Greg Seward will be there to help us out. So if you're in the Milwaukee, Wisconsin area, come on down and say hi. We'd love to meet you. Anyhow, thanks so much for sitting through these definitely non-intrusive ads, and I'll let you get back to more talk about those Pokemon we love so much. (laughs) 
so we're back, and I okay. My goal for this episode is to talk about the uh, generations up to Diamond and Pearl, which is Gen Four. We might not get that far because we had so much to talk about in the beginning of this episode. But I did want to start with Gen One, of course, which is Red, Green, Blue, and Yellow. So let's talk about the releases of Red and Green, or Red and Blue, in the United States. Uh, these came out in February twenty seventh, ninety six. Uh, so we're at the twentieth anniversary, of course. In in the U.S., it came out on uh, September twenty ninth, nineteen ninety eight, and I was there. I had pre-ordered. I was ready for the whole wow. Pokemon uh, Pokemania, and I had my mom pick it up for me because I'm that cool. <laughs> you were on the front line, Bob. Yeah, I had to tell my mom how to say it because I was Console like, warrior. I was like, pick up this game for me. I reserved it. She's like, how Pokemon? Poke Pokemon? And I was like, no, Pokemon. Because I looked it up. Anyhow, everyone's looking at me funny. This was an extremely basic RPG along the lines of Dragon Quest 1 and 2. I mean, but the the gimmick was there were 151 potential party members. It was like Suikoden, but even even more on steroids. And uh, it only had one slave oh, – sorry, only had one save <laughs> slot. What did wow. I say? Slave yeah. slot? Wow, that's weird. Well, that's a Freudian slip. Only had ever heard one, one Pokemon. Only had one save slot. Pokemon, uh, it's, it's very um, – it's mutual. Come on. Only one save <laughs> slot because Tajiri wanted players to be able to name all the Pokemon. Uh, that is, it required a lot more memory. So, I mean, they would but hold... by having... Only one save slot made it really difficult to do a lot of things. Yes. Um, in the future, they would not need one save slot, but they would hold on to that. Do, do current games only have one save slot? Yes. Oh, your man. game is your game. Yeah. It is your... Yeah. The, there is... Again, if you buy more than one copy, you can also use that to... You start the game three times, and then you can just transfer it to the other one just to get all three starters yeah. instead of having Many, to pick many one. players had their save erased by a younger sister who wanted to play. <laughs> yeah, I think it, what, that was designed in, in part to help uh, kids kill each other over that kind of... Uh, over that kind of event. Uh, that absolutely happened to me. Didn't happen to me because my sister did not want anything to do with video games, thank God. So um, I think, like, giving Pokemon uh, evocative westernized names was so important for the series to become popular because um, their names are very evocative, but they're also very, very Japanese, except for Pikachu, which they kept for some reason. I but mean, um, I'd say there's about 20% that get to keep their names from re- from Japan. Yeah, that is true. I mean, they, but they don't localize every name. But most of them are localized, and I feel like they had to sit down and really think about them. Uh, some are kind of stupid, I, I would say, in retrospect, but a lot of them are very interesting, smart, and they kind of tell you what the Pokemon is without you having to see it. There's so, some fun puns in there, like Hitmonchan and Hitmonlee. Executor. Is that <laughs> yeah, right? Is that, that one of them? One. Yeah, yeah. Execute, then Executor. And then also the uh, Clefable to Clefairy. Mm. And Charmander, Charizard, Char... Charmeleon. Uh, Charmeleon. Charizard, yeah. yeah, it's... They, I liked the... Uh, it's not really a pun, but just the kind of cleverness to a name, especially for evolutions, that they... You can't name them just one thing. It has to be able to then turn into a different pun on, say, a lizard, and then to another pun on a lizard. Yeah, and, and if you... And, yeah. and if you look at other series, like, uh, again, I'm going to throw Digimon under the bus, but, like, all of the characters were, like, blank Mon. There was nothing clever about it. It's just, like, we're going to put Mon on your name, and that that's just what you it are. So memorable. Yeah, for sure. I feel like that was very important. And uh, this game establishes the format of Pokemon, which is collect eight badges and defeat the Elite Four, which has not really changed, Kat. Uh, has that changed at all? I, no. I, okay, I didn't think so. They, they play around with it some, but yeah. really your the eight badges are your – that's how they lock you out of places. Like, well, you can't cross this ba- bridge unless you have all these badges. It is sort of, like, sort of like the Triforce of this game. You're collecting well, all the pieces. There's a reason they do that, and that's because really when they're making a new Pokemon generation – 
they're basically hitting the reboot button because they're aiming for the kids who aren't old enough to remember the previous Pokemon <laughs> generation, mm-hmm. like the six to seven year olds. And so they're like going, well, yeah, well, if you're a returning fan, cool, here's some new stuff for you. Uh, you can do the bad stuff, but really we're aiming for a new group of users who are going to we become little addicts. Yeah, yes, exactly. exactly. Uh, and of course we have the, uh, they established the rival, uh, like as Kat said, named Shigeru in Japan, named Gary in America. Well, he was blue in the Japanese, in the American version and red and the main character okay, was red. Well, is Gary only the anime name? Then? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, say so, your rival wasn't set either because you could be either one of those two. Okay, yeah. No. Well, no. Can you play as the Shigeru character in the, if you play the blue version? No. Really? Yeah. But I think you, you could name your rival in... Uh, you could name your character, the rivals, whatever you wanted. Yeah, yeah that was pretty great. Yeah, That's one of the many wonderful memes I've seen on online. <laughs> If you had an enemy in real life, it was a good thing to do. Well, if like, your grand- I'm take like you down. Like, hey there, grandson. You're oh, what's your name again? His name's Poop. That's right, <laughs> my grandson Poop. And there was no, uh, there was no censorship there, so you could name it whatever you wanted to. And uh, so we also have, uh, we have technical machines, which are the moves you teach Pokemon, and we have hidden machines, which are these sort of albatrosses around their neck that you need yeah. to traverse uh, different, uh, you know, environmental hazards. So you need, uh, you need cut to cut down a tree. You need uh, strength to move boulders. You need. Uh, Surf to go through water. What else am I missing here, Cat? I mean, uh, fly, there. fly to teleport. It's like teleporting. It was, yeah, it's a beam around the map. Yeah, I mean, the real problem here is that that these hidden moves will take up a spot mm. on your uh, list of moves, and there, you only have four. So, um, is that something they've ever fixed in these later games, Cat? Yes. Okay, thank God. I was gonna say there's a move deleter. <sighs> there's literally, literally everybody. Uh, I'm sure that literally everybody taught cut to their starter Pokemon of course, when they yeah. first played. I sure did. Like your uh, Bulbasaur or whatever. And then once you became more savvy, you started having HM slaves, which was yep. yeah. say you would go out and get Eradicate that could cut and surf and uh, use strength. And there was one more, I think, a Flash. You, you have to there have was a, a Flash uh, one. Oh, yeah, the sea in the caves. Yeah. But you'd, you'd always have to keep some sort of – some flying type for fly to get you around. The thing that was actually even more annoying than HM being uh, – like being unable to be removed is the fact that TMs were one use only. So mm. if you uh. were training up a new monster, you only had one use for Psychic. So if you wasted it on something, huh, sorry, you're out of luck unless you restart your game. Yeah, that's why I never use them until so, like the very end. Of the I would game. actually trade monsters in exchange for TMs. And what yeah. I would do is I would trade a monster over. They would teach a psychic or whatever to the monster I needed, and then they would trade it back to me. Hmm. So uh, the localization for this game, I would say it's good if if it's a if it's a little too literal. I think though, um, uh, it's they cutesy. Had like six, yeah, I mean they had like sixteen characters to work with. Yeah, word balloon. The like funny that. thing is uh, about the localization is they were so crunched for space that they could not actually si- they could not actually spell out the word Pokemon when they wanted to use it. So instead, you have two characters. One of them is PK. One of them is MN. So whenever p- characters would talk about Pokemon in these first games, they would say PKMN with these two characters. So it was a Kind of like a weird English version of kanji in a way or something like that. It was like we need to figure mm-hmm. out a way to simplify this uh, – what is it? Seven-letter word? I'm sorry. I can't count right now. But yeah, like it, they were that crunch for space. So I feel like with later games, the localizations would get better because they just had more space to work with. I think they did a really good job of giving your rival a personality. I mean him saying That's smell true, you yeah. later was kind of uh, yeah. silly. But there, there were at the touches same, like that, yeah. But it became his catchphrase, right? Yeah. So yeah. you immediately knew that he was kind of a douche and you – you didn't like him, and he was always kind of in your face, like showing up at the least a convenient time to mm-hmm. kind of challenge you and annoy you. 
And have the counter <clears throat> Pokemon to your starter as well. I yes. always have that. But that's something I miss in the later Pokemons that they like – they made the rival too friendly. Yeah. They, it was definitely Nintendo or Game Freak, you know, declawing their games to a degree. Like, hey, I'm your rival, and I want to win too, but let's let's both win together and both be great. Like, yeah, I, I don't like that. Yeah, modern Nintendo now, Wario's behavior has, like, disclaimers. Like, now, kids, don't be like Wario. I'm like, come on. we Like, <laughs> Wario is literally evil Mario. We know he's bad. We don't need you to tell us to not, like, throw things at people, whatever. So, yes, uh, we have uh, some remakes here, which are, okay, so now these remakes are 12 years old. And when they Ooh, remade boy. the original games, they were eight years older than the game. So now we're in a weird conundrum here. But uh, I did play through uh, Leaf Green, I believe. So I played through Pokemon Red and Pokemon Leaf Green. I like these remakes, and I want a remake of the original games to happen again because I'm uh, I'm stuck in the past. This is the, this is the version of Pokemon I like the most. It's the world I'm most comfortable with. Did you, did you guys play the uh, Leaf Green – sorry, Fire Red and Leaf Green remakes? They also Absolutely. had that um, infrared adapter they were that shipped a, with them. They were a big deal at the time because yeah. when third generation started, and I guess this is getting a little ahead of the conversation, but – you could not get the original 100 uh, – you could not get a lot of monsters, and so that was the only way you could do it. Yeah. And they added actually a lot of new content. They added a thing called the Sevi Islands, which had a lot of puzzles and extra battles and everything, at the completion of which you would unlock a time machine that would allow you to start trading between the two. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. So you had to – but you had to go jump through a lot of hoops to be mm-hmm. able to do that. That is, that's, that's actually why Kat is here to tell us all these things because uh, this is not – that does not come up in my research at all. So, yeah. And we also had the uh, yellow version which came out after Red and Blue in America about a year later. Um, Look who's back. This time, the two of you are partners in the latest installment of the Pokemon Saga. It's Pokemon Yellow, the special Pikachu edition for Game Boy Color, where it's you and Pikachu catching as many as you can together. Look for the Pokemon Yellow Bundle Pack. It includes a limited edition Pokemon Game Boy and Yellow Game Pack. It was kind of built to capitalize on the success of the anime and the, and the just the insane popularity of the Pikachu character. It just like, goes to show how influential the anime was. Yeah. Uh, it actually went back and influenced the games because they put Team Rocket in there, Jesse and James. Mm-hmm. Um, they put in uh, – you could get all three uh, – you could get all three starters in much the same way that – um, Ash came upon the starters in the anime. Because you start with Pikachu. You don't yes. get one yeah. of the starters who follows behind you on screen. No Pokemon follows you on screen and in, there's the, a, in red and blue. There's a terrible voice sample in the game where yeah. it's uh, him yeah. saying Pikachu. And it also introduced Surfing Pikachu who would make sporadic returns after, from then on. And it was a big deal, too, because you couldn't get all three starters in the original games. You had to trade for them, which was actually kind of hard uh, because you couldn't breed the starters at that time. And Mm. people weren't exactly like, oh, here, take my only Charizard. So you had to trade back and forth to get them into your Pokedex. But uh, you could get all three in yellow. So that was very nice. Also in yellow, and Jeremy could be interested in this, it had Game Boy printer support. You could print out Pokedex entries uh, and stick them to your face and walk around like a moron. But yeah, I don't know if anyone would actually do that. Uh, I mean, I think uh, games like this and Link's Awakening DX would have just this weird Game Boy printer. Uh, like to do uh, something. Yeah, it's like we need to use this in some way. But I mean, it was mostly frivolous. So... Let's move on to the second generation of games, and we're going fast. Oh, one, go ahead. I just wanted to add one thing. The thing that 
I think the 150 monsters like just worked so well because it made the world seem really huge. Yeah, it did. It capitalized on the monsters, like all of the really pers- the monsters that had personalities from Dragon Quest, right? Because like there's this giant menagerie in Dragon Quest, and there's so many of them, and they all have individual. You you look at them, and you come to recognize them. It's the same thing in Pokemon. Mm. And the thing that I really enjoyed playing it back in the day was that you would run, you'd be fighting somebody, and then this monster would show up, like. I remember fighting the Elite Four, and suddenly they throw out a Jinx. And I'm like, whoa, what is that? Number one, I'm terrified. Number two, where did you get that? Number one, I'm terrified. Also, that's really powerful. How do you get that? Because you know that you can get every single monster in that game. So there's that impetus to search out and find all these monsters. You're excited that now you've seen it. It's in your Pokedex, and you can follow to where it says it is. Some of them you had to trade for. like You had to trade in-game for them. Uh, Sometimes you had to actually trade them to evolve them yeah really cool but um i think i i just think that that element really made the game ultimately mm. yeah well they did monster collecting what what game really popularized it first was it megami tensei or was it dragon quest 5 like what was the megami tensei mm. came out first didn't it yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah, if it was it was, was, the first, it was 1987 oh, yeah. um, was the first megami tensei Dragon Quest V was 91, 92. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That okay. sounds right. Yeah. Uh, did anybody here catch them all? No. I did not. I wanted to. I, I did, in fact, catch them all. Wow. Wow. I went through yeah. and I caught all 150 uh, because 151, I couldn't get Mew. Uh, yeah. Unlike Henry, I did not do the Pokemon tournament. Uh, and I was extremely disappointed to get literally a certificate saying, congrats, you're <laughs> awesome. At least they spelled congrats right. That didn't happen all the time in these older <laughs> games. On the Gen 2, Gold, Silver, and Crystal, the original release dates for these. In Japan, for Gold and Silver, we have uh, November 21th, 1999. In America, it was October 15th, 2000. So almost a year gap. It's still a pretty big gap. I believe Pokemon games are pretty much super close to each other these days. Oh, no, they are. I mean, yeah, like core same Pokemon day, right? games are same day. Yeah, international. I they've, so. they've been that since X and Y. You've conquered red. You've mastered blue. You've triumphed over yellow. You've caught them all! And now, you're ready for the next step. Welcome to the world of Pokemon Gold and Silver. Tons of new Pokemon. New adventures and worlds to explore. New badges to collect. So you've got to ask yourself, have you got what it takes? Pokemon Gold and Silver, ready to eat for everyone. I've got to catch them all. I actually, one of my uh, Masuda interviews was for... Black and White 2, which had a six-month gap. And I asked him, hey, are you guys trying to, you know, like, close that gap more and someday even have a, 
Uh, same day launch, and what I didn't know at the time was they were working on that exact thing oh, wow, for the okay. next game. And it was great because I was actually importing them for a while, but now I don't have to. <laughs> yeah, I love, I mean, that ad they had for the, well, not even ad, but the video they made for the 20th anniversary was about the universal experience of Pokemon. And, you know, having same day launch in every, seemingly almost every region or, or most major regions, That's that kind of shows you how... Uh, how universal it's become too. Hmm. Yeah. So I want to talk about the new additions. We don't have to, we don't have to break all of these down. I just want to mention like the major additions to this game. So the biggest one is a real time clock, which can determine events that are happening in the world and what kind of Pokemon that you can catch. And that's based on the time in your reality, whatever you set it to. It, it runs in real time. Uh, so we have 100 new Pokemon, of course, increasing their roster. Uh, Pokemon can now hold items. It was they, fully compatible with the Game Boy Color. Okay, yeah, that's right. And yep. there was like it was like prettier in that way, but it was still playable on original Game Boy, which yes. I find crazy. Yeah, it was one of those like goes both ways yeah. Game Boy games instead of like the Wario Land Two. Exclusive. It should have been a black cartridge, not yellow. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. Like Wario Land Two, right? Am I right? Wario Land 2, uh, Link's Awakening DX. Mm. There were there were quite a few games. Any game that had a black cartridge was compatible. It, it was Game Boy Color enhanced, but backward compatible. But they had to be gold and silver. It was the color of and the they were thing. all sparkly. That's right, yeah. They, they had, like, glitter applied to them. So uh, more, more new additions to this is uh, we have shiny Pokemon, of course, which Kat mentioned. Uh, two new types, steel type and dark type. And uh, the special split, which was introduced as a uh, a way to correct the dominance of the psychic type. Oh in the yeah, those game. things owned in the first game. Because one of the funny things about the psychic type was it didn't really have a weakness because ostensibly bug and ghost were supposed to be what would kill psychic type. Well, there was no ghost type move except lick. Yeah. And there was, and also all the ghost types like. Gengar was maybe the only ghost type I can think of off the top of my head, really and he was part poison. Which was weak to ghosts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the perfect, uh, the perfect like OP. And Pokemon there was only type. one bug move as well, which was mm-hmm. Twin Needle, mm-hmm. and that was useless. And so it was like, oh, good, Psychic owns all. So Dark type was totally immune, and Steel type was resisted it. And so from that point on, actually, Psychic type became a lot. A lot less powerful. Hmm. They did a similar thing when they introduced the fairy type, which could counter dragon a lot yeah, better. Yeah, because dragons owned everything. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. I mean, if you got a nice, if you've got nice moves, you're okay against a dragon. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll get in. But also, what if somebody else has a dragon? Then there were so many power, incredibly powerful pseudo legendary dragons out there that it didn't matter if you had an ice move, and also you had to construct your entire party around taking those dragons out. Mm. It's it kind of sucked. So more additions we have. Uh, the last one is the special stat from Red Green and everything else. The first gen split was into split two. into special attack and special defense, and finally we have breeding, which did not explain how Pokemon reproduce, but it made it happen in the game there was at an least. Egg. There was an egg. All all. Pokemon lay eggs, I guess. Figure that out. I would like it. I liked it when your breeders or the farm people would just say, these two get along really well. Or they'd say, these two don't get along so well to imply they weren't going to have sex. Yeah. So this Mr. Mime is female and laid an egg. Okay. Yeah, I don't get uh, Yeah. But we, uh, and I think they also introduced shinies. Yeah, yeah shinies. And uh, I did they say introduced that. Um, special types of Pokeballs, which. Um, like there was a quick ball and that kind of thing. I may be wrong on that front. Um, I thought there was a master ball. In, no, there were special uh, balls no, in but, red and blue. But they added more types. Yeah, of you're right balls. about that. Yeah. Yes. Now, gold and silver was the one I played the most. I only played 
red and blue a tiny bit because my little brother started playing it first and I didn't want to follow him into playing it. But mm. when gold and silver came out, I'm like, okay, me and you can start at zero mm. on this and really compete. And so, uh, yeah, gold was mine. He had silver. I wanted Ho-Oh anyway. So yeah, was gold mine. was mine. And this is the last Pokemon game I was really interested in, actually. This is kind of where I quit Pokemon. It was Gen 2. And this game does feel like um, the version of Pokemon they would have made if they had more experience going into it. It feels like the product of a team with a lot more, like I said, a lot more experience. Like they were going into this knowing what they were doing. This is this is another uh, Satoru Iwata special. Exactly, yeah. He allowed them to compress the program enough that they could fit the entire Kanto region into uh, the game. That so is, there is the whole post-game quest. Yeah. That, that was so oh, great. Man, that is like one of the last best game surprises like here's something that we would normally sell you you know like an entire like basically chunk of the game that well, is huge the Johto region is actually pretty small like it's about half the size of the Kanto region that's still a lot of free game to play that you weren't oh, expecting absolutely because yeah. you, you can go and get another eight badges and that yeah. was amazing and revisit all the people from the first game it also introduced a, a kind of thing that Pokemon games have which I really like which is kind of a subtle uh chronology or like continuity it's not it does kind of reboot every time it like you got a new kid it was and, a yeah. it was a direct sequel to the original game yeah mm. but you, you were still Satoshi or Ash or whatever well no you were a, no, brand, you were you were a brand new kid okay. because at the end of the game uh, you would actually you could find Red at the top of a mountain yep. and fight him and you would fight and, you know Charizard yeah. and all that stuff so. I, I did that in the remake and he destroyed yeah. me <laughs> he was Just the absolutely. ultimate dude in that game I mean he was only like level 86 and so I would always show up with my level 100 monsters and be like you're okay. dead so I have, an interesting, I have a really interesting quote from the president of Creatures Inc. at the time his name is Ishihara and his quote says I didn't intend to make any more Pokemon titles after uh, this gen I even thought that once we entered the 21st century it would be time to, for me to do something else entirely uh, so Gold and Silver were initially intended to be the final Pokemon games everyone thought like okay we've, we started with Red and Blue and that was fun we, we perfected the idea with Gold and Silver now it's time for a new idea but guess what capitalism boys we gotta make all that green so Pokemon will never end it will outlive all of us in this room, I think. Uh, well, when Pokemon Gold and Silver came out, a lot of people were saying, well, fad's over. Like, it, it definitely started to lose momentum a little bit. Uh, Pokemon the movie 2000 came out in, like, that year. <laughs> 2000. And it, it, wasn't as, it wasn't as popular. And, you know. I subbed VHS of that. I, I actually missed Gold and Silver when they first came out because I had actually stopped playing Pokemon oh, by wow. that point. Like, I, yeah. I pre-ordered gold. I think that was the last Pokemon I pre-ordered. I mean, I didn't have a lot of disposable income because I was in college by mm. that time. I did pick up a copy of Crystal in the summer of 2002. And because and Crystal was really cool because not only did it add a new story with us that, that was, f- sorry, starring Suicune, um, it also animated the monsters for the first time. Like they had mm. static sprites going yeah. into that. Which so, would not be in the next gen, which yeah. is terrible. Uh, and again, Kat, uh, some some additions to Crystal. You could play as a female character for the first yes, time. Yes, that was a big deal yeah. for me. So. That was pretty great. Yeah, I also did love the introduction of you had the chasing legendaries. You'd free in, – in the story, you would free the – three dog dudes or the legendary dog guys yep. and and they would just be running around the, oh, the yeah. map you couldn't they, they weren't in one fixed place for you to fight and catch right and they they had persistent or like um 
yeah, their their damage like that you inflicted mm-hmm. carried over. Didn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was like yeah. Doom Gage gaze in Final Fantasy VI. <laughs> yeah, this kind of random encounter that you had to progressively work at. And this this will blow your minds. Maybe it will. Uh, in the Japanese version of Crystal, you could battle people with your cell phone uh, yep. because you know again Japan was way ahead of cell phones. Uh, you know, way ahead of us on texting and games and stuff like that. So it's like at, a connector from your Game Boy to a cell phone. Yeah, really cool idea. And this would not hit us until like Gen Four when we had like Wi-Fi capabilities. A lot of people stopped playing Gold and Silver or stopped playing by the time Gold and Silver comes out. That's why you have people going, oh, the one, the original 151 were the only ones. But actually, Gold and Silver had a lot of very popular monsters come along. Mm-hmm. Um, it had the in, the additions to the EV family, Espeon and Umbreon, uh, which yeah, were both very cool. They had Tyranitar, which was extremely OP in later games, but like this dark rock uh, dragon type uh, Lugia and Ho-Oh came in. Uh, it had actually... Didn't it introduce uh, Tropius? No, that was Gen 3, actually. Uh, okay, well, then Gen 3 is the best. <laughs> Though the, the the starters weren't that great for Alligator, uh, Typhlosion, and... Um, Typhlosion. <laughs> and uh, the, the grass one, whatever it's called. Um, uh, yeah, see, I didn't even use that Chikorita. Chikorita. Well, yeah, I was thinking of the, the fully evolved I, I, version. See, I never, in the two times I've played it, I never picked there grass are a lot type. Of people grass who re- type is my least favorite of the starter types. There are a lot of people who really like those uh, monsters, but they've yeah. always kind of stunk mm. throughout nah, the series. I think for alligators, super cute, man. I hate for alligators. I need to, I, I can't even He looks like these Bebop, but he's like a dragon <laughs> so, dude. Yeah. He's like Bebop from uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja yeah, Turtles. What's not cool about that? He's even got he's got that classic like cartoony scaly belly the that ama- gators mm. have. The amazing uh, the amazing thing about Gold and Silver was that they really thought of everything. It was actually backwards compatible with the original Pokemon Red and Blue, so you could trade with them and uh, import monsters from those games, and that's how you completed your Pokedex. And mm-hmm. in fact, you could get moves on monsters in red and blue that they couldn't get in gold and silver. So that was mm. a way to get se- various secret moves. And so, it, and it added a certain continuity to the games. Um, to, a, to this day, a lot of people consider gold, silver, and crystal maybe the pinnacle of the series. I don't necessarily agree with them, but it was a really cool game. It's probably the, my best experience with the uh, series. And I do want to say uh, really quick, we have uh, some remakes that came out in 2010, uh, Heart Gold and Soul Silver. I think the biggest feature outside of the boring touchscreen games, whatever, is the Poco Walker, which is a really cool idea. I never got to experience it. I know it was like uh, Jeremy had written a lot about it. Maybe you can talk about this, Jeremy, the Poco Walker. Yeah, I never played um, Gold or Silver or Crystal in their original inca- incarnations because I didn't care. Um, but I ended up getting Heart Gold and reviewing it. And uh, that was at the time that I was, you know, uh, really trying to get in shape. And um, so I did a lot of walking. I would walk a lot to work and from work. And so I ended up playing a ridiculous amount of heart gold beyond the review just because I would carry the Poco Walker with me to kind of, you know, keep track of how much I was walking. And in the process of doing all that walking for fitness – I would, you know, uh, earn experience and items and stuff for the, the is creatures. That, is that how it works? You, you would, uh... Yeah, you could transfer, uh, I think, six – I'm trying to remember. It's been a while. Um, I think six Pokemon into the Pokewalker. Mm. And, like, the steps you took, I think, 
counted a little bit toward it was experience. XP. Yeah, yeah, and then they'd they'd come back and you'd get to watch a little video of well, not <laughs> video, but they walked Animation. over here. They walked this way. They walked this many steps, and then they found this berry. Yeah, they find and then items they found and stuff, like, and you could you could also do really simple battles with other people through the infrared port of the uh, the Yeah, the it was really Poker pretty Walker. brilliant. I think yeah. we saw some of that functionality with the Street Pass and the 3DS I mean, it stuff. Was, it was very much a, along with Dragon Quest Nine, was them practicing and, and, and Animal Crossing, practicing and, and kind of figuring out how to do the, the Wi-Fi connectivity of um, 3DS that became an integral part of that system. But it also had precedent in the Pokemon Pikachu. Uh, oh, yeah. The little mini game that was kind of like a standalone game that predates Gold and Silver. Uh, yeah, it's it like does. A, it was a Tamagotchi with of Pikachu. I had one of those, and I was ashamed of it, but I still love that thing. I think it was Pocket thing. Pikachu? Uh, I think it was just called Pokemon Pikachu, and it was it just clipped to your belt, and you would, like, generate watts by walking, mm-hmm. and you would feed it or buy things with those watts. Yeah. I wasn't personally a big fan of Heart Gold and Soul Silver because mm. it was kind of slow. Uh, it, it was all right um, for a like a spin-off of the fourth generation games. But I think Jeremy's experience in particular really speaks to like why Pokemon kind of remained popular over the years because Jeremy would just go out and he would pick the dumbest monsters possible <laughs> and put them in his party. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, you <laughs> picked the, mo- the least popular. Just because I had Tropius and Love Disc. Come on. <laughs> I love those guys. He like specifically went for the lesser loved ones. But I mean, come on. It is a dinosaur. <laughs> That it's it has wings. It's a flying like brontosaur, but its wings are palm leaves. Oh, I know what this is now. Yeah, and it has like this crazy helmet, and then it has a beard made out of bananas. <laughs> and apparently, that's what other tropiuses eat. They like eat the bananas that grow on their beards. Aww. I don't. It's like the the Matrix. Um, you know, like the the human slurry being fed to <laughs> other humans. Like now, the, the, there's now the, I don't like it, this it, thing. It violates the conservation of energy, but that's somehow true. it works. In, in, in Pokemon. Well, we can't so. even get into Pokemon science. It doesn't make any sense. But we have to move on to Generation 3. Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald. And I was lying, actually. I did. This is the last version that I reserved and played, and it really let me down. This was the one that lost me. I yeah. didn't play this one. Uh, and the new additions to these were uh, Double Battles, Who Cares? Multi-Battles, hey, Who hey, Cares? Double Battles were a big deal. Uh, but... What do they add to the game? I'm curious. Well, they ended up forming the foundation of the entire metagame for the Pokemon video game championship series. Okay. Uh, I guess that matters to some people, but not to me. <laughs> so, I, I mean, let, just because it doesn't matter to you doesn't mean hey, that it doesn't matter. Quit violating my solipsism. Uh, so we have innate abilities. We have natures, which were added, and the condition stat. It uh, came out in November 21st, 2002. Oh, 2002. I was wrong. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, and we have... I just uh, snapped. Damn. <laughs> wow. We have uh, secret bases. Again, who cares? And in- hey, hey <laughs> secret bases were very cool. No, they weren't. Yes, and an in-game they were. Clock, and an oh, in-game my God. Clock. Okay. What the hell, Bob? All right, Kat, they can be cool if you think they're cool. Uh, I'm sorry. Secret bases were amazing <laughs> because, first of all— Kat's going to filibuster now. <laughs> it let you carve out a spot in the world. You could go to so many different places. You could, like, pick trees. You could pick walls and everything looking for that perfect spot. And then it gave a lot more replayability because you could go out and you could 
You could win trophies in the battle tower and everything and put them in. You could go out and save your money. You had something to save your money for, to buy furniture and everything. It was really neat. And then in Pokemon Emerald, which was the third version of it, you could actually uh, connect to the other games and have people come visit your secret base. And even better, they would be there, like a ghost version of them would be there with all of their monsters. And that was an amazing way to train. The secret oh. base thing was great. I guess I didn't take I advantage no of it. Argument. Okay, fine. You win. I, uh, I can't believe I didn't ever play this generation because it actually introduced all the best Pokemon. Hmm. It's where Tropius comes yeah. from. I see. It's where my personal favorite, Spoink. Comes from oh, Spoink. I love this guy. He's so uh, great. He's a pig with a pearl on his head, and if he stops bouncing, he dies. It's great. <laughs> Gen so, three is my. I least I never played the Gen. game, but I had Chris Kohler, who was living in Japan at the time, go to the Pokemon store and get me the exclusive Torchic GBA SP, <laughs> just because it was orange, which is great. Yeah, and it was embossed with like this little bird guy named that Torchic. That's pretty great. Torchic yeah. is great. And uh, actually, Gen 3 the, had the best Pokemon. It's mm, case closed. Gen 3 had three of the best starters, in my opinion, because it had Torchic, who was adorable, a little bird guy. I agree. I do remember all he those starters. He evolved into Blaziken, who was a badass like Ninja Bird. He's then pretty he badass, had, yeah. He had Mudkip. Oh, and we yeah. all know Mudkip. Mudkip barf. Everyone he evolved likes into Swampert, and Swampert was uh, a badass. Is that is that an old meme as well? No. Do, do you like Mudkip? Yes, it is. That's yeah, a very old so. meme. Yes. And then you had uh, Trico, which evolved into Sceptile. And, and evolved he was into, a cool, like, And then grass... evolved into the Guardian. Exactly. You know, the last Guardian. We were both it, going for that yeah. joke. It, <laughs> it went against the, the usual grass thing, because grass was an inherently defensive type, but Sceptile was really fast and really powerful and just fun to use, and it's actually probably my favorite grass type, so... Mm. Probably the best three all-around starters of the entire series. Uh, my experience was, and I was reading about other people's experiences as well. I found that uh, this game, I didn't think enough changed for me. I like, I was expecting, I was expecting a lot more with the new generation. Like, there was no real animation like you would see in Crystal with the monsters, and um, I don't know. It just struck me as like a kind of a bland experience. And this is where I kind of put Pokemon away for almost forever. I mean, I've, I've dabbled with it ever since, but this is where the series lost me. I mean, um, it was hugely controversial when it came out. What, uh, what is what is the Pokemon community's opinion about Gen 3? Well, when Gen 3 came out, it was hugely controversial because it was no longer compatible with Gen 1 and 2. Oh, you're That's right. That's what lost yeah. me. So a lot of people were like, oh, I can't transfer my old monsters. Well, screw this game. And then even worse, they kind of rebooted it, but they rebooted it in a pretty clumsy way. Um, the There were a lot of new monsters that people didn't particularly like. Uh, over time, like they've kind of grown on people, but at the time they were like, Oh, Swellow, what the hell? It's just Pidgeot again. <laughs> or what's this guy? Like, he's just a lamer version of this. And Love Disc, what the hell? It's because you had to wait so long to get Spoink in your party. Yeah, Spoink now, was really the, uh, yeah. I mean, Ruby and Sapphire <laughs> did eventually, did actually have a lot of really cool monsters. Salamence was just this big dragon guy. He was in there. Um, I already mentioned the starter. So it had some neat monsters, but maybe not enough. And then at the same time, it, it was kind of subsumed by all the crappy ones. And then at the same time, you could not get all of the monsters. There were 386 by this point, and you could only get something like 200. And and a lot of the most popular monsters did not make the cut. So Gengar, nope. 
Gen one and two starters. No. I forgot about that. That's that might be why I didn't like this as much because I, I wanted those old friends to come back. Yeah, you wanted them to come back, but you couldn't get them. I mean, here was the real kicker: the data was on the cartridge, mm. but you couldn't access it. And so a lot of people were like using Game Shark to get at these monsters for going. Screw this! I paid for this data. I'm going to use it. What a weird choice. I mean, I yeah. meant to give this a, a try with the remakes. I do. I I got a press copy of the Ruby Sapphire uh, Omega Ruby. I just never played it though I it, it came in a poor time for yeah, me these are the most recent remakes Kat how are they uh, Omega uh, Ruby and Alpha Sapphire <laughs> silence pause. silence uh, I'm not playing it anymore well so part Didn't of this my break you from your Pokemon obsession kind of every uh, game breaks her from her Pokemon so. obsession and then she <laughs> rolls right back You'll in come the next crawling back. so Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire ultimately kind of disappointed me because while Ruby and Sapphire were disappointing it got Emerald and Emerald was amazing Emerald brought back mo- like you could get all of the monsters pretty much right off the the cartridge yeah and it came out more than two years after uh the, yeah. the initial releases which it is crazy had, for me. it had animated versions of the monsters this time around but most importantly it added a thing called the battle frontier which for my mind is the single best in- uh addition that you've seen in a pokemon game which was all these like advanced game like challenges that like advanced players could take on. So there was like a tournament. And there's a thing called the battle pyramid where you would go through this big maze with like these high level trainers. There was one that would assign you like random monsters that you would have to use. Like it changed up the formula in a huge way. And then you were trying to get these battle frontier emblems, which was like it like getting these was a kind of an honor because you were like going cool. Like I am a top trainer. Like because these were not easy to get. I had, like, a really good party, but all of the monsters were equal to my monsters, and you, and it would actually kind of cheese you at once you got really deep into the battle tower and that kind of thing. So there was that, and I loved it. They didn't have that in Ruby and, Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, which really disappointed me. And that was me. controversial? Yeah, I mean, mm. and then plus Emerald was kind of the definitive version because in Ruby and Sapphire, they had two... Technically, they had different stories. Like you fought Team Aqua in uh, Sapphire and Team Magma Magma. in Ruby. And it would be separate. Like So it was like, oh, which one do you play? Well, in Emerald, they combined those. So you would go and fight in Team Magma's base and then Team Aqua's base. And then uh, so they told a complete story, even with cutscenes and everything. I was like, oh, that's kind of rad. Well, Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire didn't have that either. Oh, wow. So the best thing that that Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire did was, A, you could fly around on Latios. That was kind of cool. Like... I was like, well, that's neat. I mean, ultimately, not that interesting, but kind of cool. And then also, I mean, it introduced new mega evolutions because one thing we didn't really mention about these remakes is that rather than being a total remake, it was actually plugs into that generation. Mm. Uh, It just goes back to that region. And one of the interesting things about Pokemon is that each game has a different region, right? Well, they treat these regions almost like they're real places. And it can get to the point of being kind of weird where they're like... Aren't they? Then they start with like, this is a part of Japan and so is this. Yeah, yeah. They went Kanto, which is Tokyo, and then Johto, Johto, Kyoto. Uh, Hoenn, which is the third region, was basically kind of like Okinawa. No, Kyushu. Mm. It's basically like like Kyushu. And then the fourth one was in uh, Hokkaido. 
And then the fifth one is the USA. Yeah, and then USA. that's the one where they introduced USA. the garbage Pokemon. <laughs> and then in sixth in sixth gen was Europe, Europe. France. Yeah, yeah. So where are they gonna so. go next? Who knows? I guess Botswana. we'll find out. <laughs> Antarctica, China. Yeah, oh China. So we were going Thailand. to Thailand. My point is, they do weird things like they go, well, this feature is really popular in this region, but not so popular in this other region, and you go. That's just an excuse for cutting out features. What the hell, guys? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the totally excuse. <laughs> they're going to cut out. In Sun and Moon, they're going to cut out the costume. Like, you could put your characters in the costume. Like, you could dress them up and yeah. everything in X and Y. I thought that was awesome. They're totally taking that out. That, that's Because they idea. didn't have it in Omega Ruby Alpha I, Sapphire. I, I think it's okay for them to make features generation specific. I mean... Oh, man. But there's this, some this features that could... are really good. Yeah, but there's, there's the potential for so much feature creep in this series. Like... There's so many working parts that have to work together. I I think it's totally reasonable for them to say, you know what, we gotta we gotta cut some stuff. Mm. And, and no, if we're going to add new avatars things. have to come to the next generation, <laughs> or I'm out. move on to Gen 4. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. I do want to ask some closing questions. Uh, personally, I'm not a business guy. I, I don't want Nintendo to be profitable, I guess, but I think Pokemon needs to change. At least if they want to appeal to 33-year-old men like me. Um, and one of those ways... Which they do. Yes. So I'm going to ask... <laughs> I think so. So like, uh, I'm going to ask you guys this question. About why does Pokemon need to change or how does it need to change? But I think what is vital for Pokemon to stay relevant is to eliminate random battles. That is, mm. that, that is, I'm a one-issue voter on Pokemon and it is random battles. And I asked, the, uh, I asked Masuda when I interviewed him a few years ago, will you ever get rid of this? And he was like, no. Like steadfastly, like he believes it is a central part of Pokemon. I think it shouldn't be. I think you should have more control over the battles you get into. Someone else, please let me know. Does Pokemon need to change? How would you change it? What's going on? Let me know. Henry. Uh, well, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be against having you know a Chrono Trigger style of seeing the enemy on screen before you approach them. But then that does get rid of the surprise of finding a thing. That's what he said. Like the yeah. element of surprise is important. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I you know that my. I always did want to see a console, real Pokemon game, but that'll never happen. And it is kind of, you should be able to carry around with you well, whatever Pokemon is. NX. Well, if the NX is just going to be. Yeah, have you a seen cons- what it looks like? It's like a pill with its yeah. just like. Yeah. That, that is the fakest. Uh, anyway, yeah, no, if if NX is both a handheld and a console, then maybe that will change it. But it kind of, Pokemon has always been so married to what Nintendo's hardware is that it can't really change until Nintendo makes a big change in its hardware. The, Ooh, VR Pokemon. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, hey, if they had a new Pokemon Snap that was VR, I'd be all up in that. But If I could, like, actually throw a Pokemon in the game and a monster would pull come out and I could give it orders. Hell yeah. That'd be so cool. I would like VR. Uh, That's my killer app for VR. There we go. (laughs) I want this game. 
But in a realistic world, Cat, how would you change Pokemon? As, as someone who is deeply invested or was deeply invested in the series, I'm curious as to what, how you think it needs to change or if it does. I don't think it needs to change at all because it's still extremely relevant mm. and they have a formula that works every generation. They appeal to the youngsters and I, everybody else is like, oh, yeah, and you can also come in too. And the thing that's actually really brilliant is it doesn't matter if you, like, follow it every generation. I mean, the hardcore, like, I do. But there are people, like, who will take a break for a long time. It's like, oh, I haven't played since Generation 2. I wonder how this is different. And then they come in and they find all this new and interesting stuff. Because So even though it changes at a snail's pace, it does change. And, like, the difference between, say, Gen 3 and the most recent Gen is really substantial. So it's like... They can just keep rolling it over practically into infinity. Missing Gen 3 and 4 made Gen 5 even more exciting to me. And that's why I still think uh, Black and White is still my favorite Pokemon game. Because I think it actually has, like, the best story that actually asked the question of... It did did change up a lot. Well, also, and it had a story that really did ask the question of, no, you're holding animals captive, aren't you? Like, they're your slaves. and. They had to the, – the answer was, no, they're not. They're your friends and it's friendship and they want to be with you. But that, to even have a Pokemon game ask the question of, aren't they your slave? That was that was really interesting to me. I mean uh, I do want to say that I, I it's OK if Pokemon doesn't change. I realize it's not being made for me and I feel like it's one of those Nintendo games that you're really only meant to experience once. It's kind of like Animal Crossing where it's like you get that core experience. But if you keep coming back with every sequel, you're going to be like, I've done this before. So mm-hmm. like Kat said, it's good to take some years off. Even when I've done that, though, I, I'm still like, oh, there are so many games I haven't played. I can't do another Pokemon. And having so. said that, I do have a pitch. Oh, go for it. I think they I'm should listening. Com- I think they should combine Pokemon and Animal Crossing and let you be a gym leader. Oh, Where you cool. customize your own gym and then you go on quests for the townspeople and you help them out and you steadily build up a gym. Because one of in the lore, yes, I did say lore. <laughs> uh, the time. Oh, don't say timeline, though. Gym leaders are essentially like community leaders, right? They're not just there in their gym taking challenges. They're helping out their community. They're like... They're just like, oh, something's threatening the community. Well, I'm c- the gym leader comes out and helps them out. They're almost kind of like a mayor. It's interesting. Man, so, I want this to happen now. I yeah. never thought about it that Man, way. So that's my the th- best idea I've heard. And then, of Pokemon. course, you can build your own gym and customize it, and people can challenge it. Done. They should be doing that instead of crossing over with Noganaba's ambition. Mm, that's weird. Jeremy, I'll give you the final word. How do you feel about Pokemon, and do you think it needs to change? I think Pokemon's fine. Um, I have skipped a few games, so... I'll probably check out Sun and Moon. Um, yeah. My trick is always to go to GameFAQs and look at the the message boards and see which <laughs> one has the fewest uh, responses, the fewest posts, <laughs> ah. and then buy that version because it means more people will have the other version of the game and it's easier ah, to get very trade. smart. I've just given away the the, the secret of life. But um, <laughs> I'm okay with Pokemon being the same as it is, but I would like to see more interesting spinoffs. Like the, what, what Kat was just talking about, Pokemon always has spin-off games and it's kind of you know the the fighting game that just came out is I guess kind of a new idea for the series um but you know there's like Pokemon Stadium there's Mystery Dungeon it's all getting kind of rote um I would like to see them explore some new concepts the, the latest Mystery Dungeon was actually really good mm, uh, I forgot about I forgot about oh, that It was Yeah it was mm-hmm. it was it it, <laughs> it gave it had a little Bit of the spirit of entering Mystery Dungeon to it. See, I've never bought, I've never played any of them, but I always appreciate they got like they got Chunsoft to or Chunsoft to do it. Like mm. they, 
they didn't hire just anybody to to make their well, own. Well, I think mystery different different developers have worked on the different mystery oh, dungeon they, games. Oh, okay. Weirdly enough, but I think the most recent one was Chunsoft. Okay, so yeah, Spike we, Chunsoft. If we you came together to celebrate Pokemon. I'm sorry if I couldn't get to everything or if I left something out. Yeah, As you can we see, we never even got to talk about the competitive scene. There's so much to talk about, but we can revisit Pokemon in a later episode. But thank you so much nine for listening. Years. In nine years, we'll be back. Uh, I'll be yeah. uh, dead. I'll be 20, a ghost. Twenty five, probably. And yes, to uh, wrap up, you can find us Retronauts on Twitter, on Facebook, SoundCloud, Twitch, and YouTube. Just search for Retronauts. We'll come up. Just follow us on there. You'll find out when new episodes go live. You'll find out where we'll be traveling to. Maybe you can meet us someday and shake our hands and whatnot. And remember, we're part of US Gamer, so go there every Monday. You'll see a new post for every episode. It tells you what songs we use. It tells you trivia. It tells you why we decided to do these episodes and maybe some links to things we talked about. So go to usgamer.net. Also, Jeremy, me, and Kat write for that website. And we want you to read our writing because it's great. And always, please, please write us reviews on iTunes. They are very important. They help us become more visible. They help us rise through the ranks. So it only takes a few minutes so if you haven't written a review please do that and my last my last plea to you is to please check out our patreon patreon.com slash retronauts just two dollars a month can give you early access to episodes more than that will give you some cool physical rewards the the patreon pays for our show it pays to fly jeremy out here it pays for all the equipment this is completely supported by patreon so helping us means you support the show it means you're appreciative of what we do so if you can give a little please do i'm out of breath someone tell me who they are and how we can find them cat Hi, I'm Kat Bailey, and I wrote a lot for Pokemon over on the main website, so you should go check it out over on US Gamer. And then I also host a RPG podcast called Act of the Blood God. Uh, at, at some point, I'm going to get somebody from the, communi- the competitive Pokemon community to come on the show and just go completely nuts talking about it. I'm a little sad that we didn't get to it in this episode, but whatevs. I, I'm thinking of you. Don't worry, competitive community. <laughs> Henry. Oh, sure. Hey. Uh, I'm H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G on Twitter, uh, and I'm a supporter of the Retronauts Patreon, but I have a Patreon of my own as well, which is patreon.com slash laser time, because that's where I work full time is on the Laser Time Podcast Network, where we have so many... So many wonderful podcasts, it's uh, not worth naming them all, but there's Laser Time. We talk about uh, a random pop culture thing each week. Uh, We have Talking Simpsons, which Bob is on. He's the host, and we go through chronologically every episode of The Simpsons. Uh, There's 302010, where we talk about pop culture events 30 years ago, 20 years ago, and 10 years ago from that week. Oh, my God, you stole my idea. Sorry. (laughs) And uh, and, uh, snooze you lose. Damn. Uh, and, And tons of other stuff. And write, and I also still write things on lasertimepodcast.com as well. Uh, oh, yeah, and I even used to host a Pokemon podcast, if you guys wow. listen to it. It was called Pokemon Mondays or Pokemondays, but uh, look for it out there on the old internet, guys. Jeremy. Uh, yeah, I'm Jeremy Parrish, right for usgamer.net. Um, you can find me on Twitter as GameSpite, and uh, also I have a site called uh, Gameboy.world, where I am chronologically chronicling the Game Boy software around the world. I should reach Pokemon in about 20 years. Awesome. Please look forward to that. (laughs) I am. And as for me, you can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo. As I said before, I write for US Gamer. You can also read my comedy writing at somethingawful.com. That's it for us this week. We'll see you next week with a brand new mini episode. Later! Hello,
やいやいやまあまあまあまあ<笑><笑>